Full, ser- full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hello, and welcome to Insert Here, a sex podcast where lust and learning meet. I'm your host, Kate Warren. Each week, I invite a new guest on the show to share their experiences outside the heteronormative or vanilla worlds of sexual expression. Guests bring a wide variety of gender, orientation, and racial experiences to life through their stories. They approach sexuality in really fascinating ways and talk about how it's informed by who they are and what they've been through. I invite regular people to share their best tools, tips, and tricks for communicating, thinking about, and having great sex. Today's episode is extra special. We are welcoming Heather Barnes Flint to the show. Heather is an artist and substance abuse counselor based in Florida. We've all heard about the opiate crisis in the U.S., and she got caught up in that and ended up in rehab when she was in college. She got sober and now passionately helps others do the same. She spent the last seven years building a healthy life for herself while learning who she is. She's also an experimentalist in the bedroom, so she'll be talking to us about pegging, golden showers, and male-male-female threesomes where she's the boss. This episode is extra special today because Heather is actually my childhood best friend. We met in the second grade and have been friends ever since. We have shared lots of experiences, so you'll be getting to know a little bit more about my background, too. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kate. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for hopping on. Um, We've been friends for a long time. Yes, we certainly have. So we, for background for folks, we, we met in the second grade when I started going to Catholic school, uh, which explains a lot. And uh, <laughs> Heather and I quickly became best friends and, uh, and, and had like coordinating Halloween costumes for years and um, had, had a, you know, like shared our entire childhood childhoods basically <laughs> yep <laughs> we sure did so Heather why don't you start out and, and like let's let's talk a little bit about those shared experiences as they relate to sex like how did you start experimenting and like realizing kind of what sex was and what were some of those experiences well um you know I remember a lot especially with the two of us being um the curious and outgoing ladies that we that we were and currently are. So excellent. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember us taking a lot of time to to explore and and find different things. I know my parents always had all these crazy books all around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we. So, I mean, we've, so we we found <laughs> the joy of sex when we were in the fourth grade. <laughs> yes, we sure did. Not together. I think uh, the, the seminal text, <laughs> "The Joy of Sex," <laughs> was found on your parents' bookcase. Yes, it certainly was. It was not. It was not hidden. It was just out out in the open. And one day we were like, "Oh, we need to learn about that." That's a thing. Yep. And we we never like ex- experimented together, but we like read that book a lot together. And 
and you and that was kind of a catalyzing event for you. Yeah, it certainly was. It was definitely um, something I was very curious about. And uh, I took a day off of school just to uh, watch the, the video version in the fourth grade. Oh, my God. Um, plus, our fourth grade teacher was awful. So, you know, that sounded a lot better. <laughs> yeah, she, Mrs. Carney hated you. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> so you took the day off. You watched the Joy of Sex video and, like, learned all these crazy sex positions. I did. I certainly did. And uh, I, I brought my knowledge to school the following day. Oh, my God. You were that girl. You were the person, I like, was... telling all the other little children what sex was. Yes, I was educating people for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, did that make you, like, view yourself differently? Um, I remember having a lot of anxiety around it. Um, just because I had this really, like, natural, curious personality. Um, but I also had it extremely, extremely big problem with anxiety. Um, so those two things kind of got me into trouble because I would be like, oh, look, here's this thing I want to explore and look for, but I don't know enough about it, and I don't know if it's wrong or not. And so I went through a lot of guilt during those early years because I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this is normal. Um, and so actually I spent a lot of time talking to my mom and, and questioning a lot of things with her because uh, I didn't know. I didn't know if it was okay to be interested or looking at that stuff. How did, how did those conversations with her go? Well, thankfully I have a mother who is highly understanding mm -hmm. um, and she always encouraged the, the questions and, and never told me, hey, that's wrong or hey, that's bad. Um, so from a very early age, I, I, I didn't stifle that. I wasn't ashamed of that because she, su she supported it. She was like, hey, it's normal to be curious about these things, and I'm glad that you're asking me these questions, and it's okay. Yeah. Well, and your mom was kind of that person for both of us because my parents were really conservative. My mom's really Catholic. Yeah. And yeah. your mom was, was a high school guidance counselor, so she actually was, like, trained for how to have these conversations in a way that was yeah. safe. Yeah, and it was always like, go to Linda, She'll get us out of this. <laughs> yeah, she was kind of, she was like my surrogate mom for like any like personal, any sort of personal question or conversation. Yes, yes. Oh my God. Her I, only rule was, Katie, don't get naked in the house. Oh my God, yeah, that was a rule. But that was a rule for a reason because like, well, and this is definitely still true. Like I am, de I'm like at my most comfortable when I'm like at home in the buff, just sort of like scampering around and I would like go to your house in the country because we grew up in Vermont, right? It's like very sort of pastoral and I would go to your house yeah. and we would go skinny dipping in the pond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, right? Like we've had people on the show who talk about like experimenting a lot and you and I didn't experiment together but we sort of were we like egged each other on in like yeah. asking questions and thinking about these things like we had journals and stuff together yeah I'd be like hey I want to try this thing and you're like okay here's how you do it <laughs> nothing has changed <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well and, and, and when we were in high school we started like you know there was there was like one girl in high school who would have these like makeout parties so we started so we like went to those makeout parties together and would like talk about the things that happened like i like you know i, I would like witness to your first kiss in front of like a, a, yes. a large group of people 
yes, everybody witnessed that. Oh, my God. Andrea Dillner's house. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, you, you know, you had your, like, fourth grade great awakening where you started questioning things. Um, and, and then you had, you know, you had a serious boyfriend in high school. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we were together on and off for about eight years. So can you tell me a little bit more about, like, about that part of your story and sort of where that led you? Yeah, I mean, it was a typical um, typical love story, you know. He tapped me on the back in, in Latin class, and, you know, he was just getting over a teen pregnancy scandal. And <laughs> As I was, one does. Um, yeah, you know, standard. Um, and... You know, we 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 started a relationship, and he was like, he was my first. Uh, he was a lot of first for me because um, I still, you know, by the time I was sixteen, seventeen, I still had limited experience um, sexually and just um, emotionally, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we we began on this relationship where that was super intense for 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 people who are that young. Um, so I think as a result, that caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of things that I wasn't ready to deal with. And I think there were a lot of things that he wasn't ready to deal with. You know, we were 17 years old and like wildly in love and, and we were also kids. Right. So uh, we didn't really know what to do with that for a long time. So what ended up, so then you went to college and. Yeah. Then I went to college and, um. You know, I kind of backtracking to to what I talked about with some of my anxiety issues. I um, went to college, and it was all these new experiences. And and for me, the the for the forefront thing on my mind was like, I want to go crazy, you know. Um, and and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to party. I wanted to have all these like new crazy experiences, and. Uh, I definitely, I definitely had all of that, um, but I also developed a lot of not so great coping tools in the process. How were you coping? So um, essentially, I turned to drugs and alcohol as a solution to a much deeper problem, and coupled with you know this high school relationship that that really turned into a very like emotionally abusive relationship. Um, I had no, I had no healthy coping mechanisms. And drugs and alcohol made me feel better about myself. They made me feel like I could function better. Um, and really, they just made me feel numb to to all of the feelings of anxiety and fear and and self doubt and not not good enough and all of those things that are normal things that we as humans feel. Totally. Um, but but they, you know, I took it to an extreme and and it brought me to a really really dark place. Right. So how did that kind of culminate? Uh, well, you know, uh, in, the, in the recovery community, as we now talk about it, you know, we eventually get to a point where we hit a bottom, and and really we, we have very limited options at that point. You know, I reached a point, I was 21 years old, most of my friends weren't speaking to me, you and I weren't really speaking. Yeah, we, we um, sort of fell out in college because you were hanging out with people that I like didn't really like and I moved away for college and you stayed in Vermont so there was like a, right. a, a little bit of a rift right exactly and uh, you know the, the relationship ended 
um, everything ended, and I hit a point where I was not doing well in school. I was not doing well in general. Um, I was having all all sorts of mental and physical consequences with the things that I was doing to myself and and to my body, you know. And um, I woke up, it was December 21st of 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, I woke up to a full-blown intervention in my living room. And I and I was there. <laughs> yeah, and I was there, which is yeah. wild because yeah. like your like your mom called me and asked me to come, and and like we had yeah. like we hadn't really been talking for a couple of years, so yeah, and like we'd sort of been in touch, but even like when I would see you, I could tell that like things you it's like you weren't there, kind of. Yeah, and I wasn't. Yeah, um, but then uh, and I don't I will always remember this like we had the intervention and like I don't know I think you took it pretty well <laughs> as far as oh it. I was done yeah I was so relieved yeah. I was so relieved that I didn't have to hide anymore yeah well and then we went to CVS to like shop for um toiletries for you to go to rehab <laughs> and we yeah. could, and we had to and we had to check labels and make sure that like nothing had like alcohol and stuff in it yeah which was a new experience but I don't know I was just like really relieved that you were that you're gonna get help and like come. yeah and my story is uh is very, um, it's not unique, but it's very um, positive in that, you know, now working in, in the substance abuse treatment field, uh, I see so many people who have the opportunity to get treatment and get help when they're not necessarily ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so they continue to go through that experience over and over and over again. And um, for me, I, I went to that treatment facility and I've, worked on getting better ever since you know it's um it's been nothing but it's been hard don't get me wrong it's it's been very very hard but um thankfully I haven't had to have any relapses or or um you know I haven't fought the system that much I've I've really worked on on moving forward from that point Rockstar. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) So so how has how has like dating and sex fit into fit into your recovery and kind of who who you've become like being as like a sober person yeah so um when I first um was getting sober a lot of the people I was hanging out with were all in the recovery community as well so as a result you know really by nature we're a group of people that are um pretty wild (laughs) <laughs> um lots <laughs> of big personalities and, uh, yeah um and so it, i i got introduced to a lot of different uh types of people and people i may not necessarily interact with if i hadn't um been in the recovery community so um it was kind of like this buffet of experiences just like waiting for me that's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, and as a result, it, you know, we're we're such an open group of people because what we're doing, what we're trying to do, is not live in dishonesty or 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 um, hide behind what we're not, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so, it's it's a really interesting kind of place to start trying and dating and and uh interacting with people because 
it's like we we've just become who we're finally supposed to be. Yeah. And and there's a lot of like excitement and exploration and growth and all of these things um, that that make for interesting dating experiences and challenging dating experiences and um, just just a lot of experiences. Like I said. So we were, we were talking the other day and you're and you're saying that um, there was a period of time where you felt like maybe you were using using you have a pretty addictive personality at, you know and oh yeah when you were in college I was manifesting obviously through substances but how does that manifest um, in, as you're dating and having sex with people yeah so um, for the first probably four years of, of my sobriety I was in this place of like okay, well, I no longer have drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism. Let me find other things. Um, and my first instinct is not to go to new healthy coping mechanisms. Those are a lot harder to learn. Yeah. Um, so for, for quite some time, sex felt as very, um, it felt that very easily and, and made things fun and exciting and, <laughs> and gave me all those things I was kind of looking for, that validation, that um, that kind of void that I had. Yeah. And you're pretty, I mean, we're both pretty externally motivated and like, like things that are new and exciting. And so were you finding that sex was sort of scratching that itch? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you're fucking all the time and lots of different kinds of people. <laughs> <laughs> like what different, what, and, and you're, but you're an experimentalist, right? Um, yeah. So what kinds of stuff were you trying? Yeah, so I was going on this method and, and I kind of have this notion in my head, like, you know, I'll try anything once, twice if I like it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and for me, like trying to remain open and, and uh, available to different experiences. Um, you know, I like that part about myself, especially having lived so fearfully for such a long time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so, so I found myself in all sorts of different situations, um, you know, being open towards things. Um, I was a really big fan of getting into these, gr- what I like to call gray area relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were people that I wasn't necessarily friends with, um, but we had mutual understanding and we also had this like really interest, interesting open communication about trying to find and experiment with things that like we had always wanted to try, but didn't feel comfortable trying them in other settings. Okay. So um, or just had never asked. What kind of stuff were you trying? Um, well, so, so pretty, pretty early on, um, I met a gentleman who, um, was bisexual and you know he 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 was open about that fact but he was really interested in having a sexual experience with me and another man and I said you know what that sounds like that would be interesting I had never tried it at that point and I was like hey why not cool okay how did it go tell me everything (laughs) listen (laughs) well it is um you know, I found myself being a lot more of a uh, bystander to that experience than I expected. Hmm. Um, I like to be in control, but I'm not super selfish. Um, 
And I, I also, they knew each other a lot better than I knew them. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Okay. So um, the, the majority of the experience, like, yeah, I got to participate, but the majority of the experience had to do with me dictating things that I wanted to see in person. Oh, okay. Um, what did you ask them to do? <laughs> I don't know, like sword fight? I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, well, you know, it was it was actually really interesting to me to watch because the the one guy in the situation I had had a physical relationship with for a little while. Okay. So for me it was really fun to watch him be dominated. Um, by this other man. Um, uh, to me, that was really interesting, especially because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I end up being a more dominant partner in most of the situations that I, that I end up in. Yeah, we share that. <laughs> so somebody that yeah. you had experience dominating, you were watching him being dominated by somebody else, and that was, and that was pretty hot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What did you learn about yourself in, in that threesome situation? Um, I learned the fact that uh, I don't, I didn't know my limits at that point. I didn't, um, I, I didn't want to repeat that situation with them again, mm-hmm. uh, just simply because I lose interest with, with sexual, sexual partners if there isn't an emotional connection after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I think it was more about having a new experience. Experience and and really trying and figuring out what I like, um, and it actually, you know, learning how much I liked that experience helped me in kind of my own self exploration experience because um, there's quite a bit of that kind of stuff on the internet now. Now that uh, I know that's what I like, <laughs> <laughs> so you're all up in the gay porn. Yeah, love it. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I love it. Cool. So you started seeing lots of different kinds of people and you were in a lot of these gray area relationships, you know, over, yeah. over like the couple of years after you got out of the, after you got out of the program and were sober. Yeah. And then something changed. Yeah. So, I mean, I reached a point where, um, I, I, well, I had had a relationship, um, with with a man who was coming to terms with his sexuality, um, and I look down and I'm like I'm wearing a strap on, which first of all is like <laughs> not a hundred percent the most flattering thing in the world, but also I was like this could be fun sometimes, but I'm not getting any emotional fulfillment out of this. Right. Right. So pegging's not um, well and let's and actually I want I want you to continue continue that story, but also I want to talk about pegging. <laughs> so so choose your own adventure. What do you want to talk about first? <laughs> right. <laughs> so pegging, really quick for those who don't know, is when uh men request women to wear a strap on dildo and uh and, and fuck them in the ass. Yeah. And so you have experience with that with this person that you were with. How did it go? Tell tell us all about yeah. it. So that was another learning experience. Um, I really felt like I was helping. I like to help people. I like to I have like wounded bird syndrome. I like to try and fix people, right? Mm-hmm. And and he was really struggling and coming to terms with his sexuality and um he wanted to try this. Um he yeah. wanted to try um 
he wanted to, to try pegging and, and have um, all the experiences he could have with a man while still being in the safe space of it being a woman, essentially. Okay, okay. interesting. How did you guys meet? Um, we met online. Okay. Um, and so like a dating late apps? night Snapchat conversation revealed his deepest, darkest secrets. And I was like, hey, sure, why not? Oh, that's awesome. So he, he was going on, da- so he went on dating apps and was this a thing he like did a lot? Was he like looking for pegging partners frequently or were you kind of his, his first experiment with that? I was his first. Oh. What was it like being someone's first pegging experience? I mean, it was, it was emotional a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just in terms of him and, and part of me, and and that's why I kind of go back to that idea of like you know I'm looking at this situation that I'm in right and I I felt kind of bad um, because I wanted to have emotional experiences with somebody that I felt emotionally connected with in the bedroom mm-hmm. and uh, and I was starting to feel really bad about myself in in a place of not guilty about my sexual exploits, not guilty about wanting to try new things, but um, they were losing value. Um, and, and it was not a, it was not a successful way for me to continue find, to find value in myself. Yeah. That makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah, totally. So did you ch- yeah. change what you were doing? I did. So shortly thereafter, um, I actually, probably like four months later, I, I hit a, a, a kind of a dark emotional space and it was suggested to me to try being celibate for a year. Ooh. So you went from like having sex kind of all the time yeah. and, and like crazy experimental sex all the time to celibacy. Yeah. Okay. How did it go? Yeah. So my first attempt, I lasted all of. 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> We're all in process. That's fine. <laughs> and then um, from there, I actually, uh, probably a couple of weeks later, I tried again, and it went well. I went I went an entire year um, and didn't talk to uh, anyone. And I just, I, I shut all of that stuff down. So I wasn't talking to people. I wasn't seeking validation through people. And I also wasn't, uh, I wasn't having sex. I wasn't on dating apps. I wasn't flirting. I wasn't doing anything. Um, and I really took that time to to look inward and and work on myself and figure out what I wanted. What did you learn? Well, so I learned that I can be alone, and that I can have a lot of fun with myself being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I learned that um, you know I I want. A partner that I can be emotionally connected with and and respected by and that although yeah all of these fun experimental things are great but at the end of the day um they don't they don't beat some of that some of that mushy stuff that I like to shy away from so much (laughs) yeah but the mushy stuff is kind of where is where the meat is it's it's the, the the meaningful stuff and if it, oh, absolutely. Well, where, where life gets so worthwhile. Totally. Well, it, it's hard, right? Because they say, like, you can't, you can't be with somebody else until you can be with yourself. And you, right. really, you really put that to the test. Yeah. 
Were yeah, you, it definitely did. Were you were you were you like going super cold turkey, or were you did you develop like a, a solo pleasure practice during that year? Like, were you masturbating? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely quite a bit of solo practice. <laughs> Cool. Okay. How did your solo practice deepen over that year since that was kind of your sole outlet for that energy? Well, a lot of it just came down to like learning to really love myself and my body, you know, as um, through all the things that I've gone through, I just developed such a detachment from myself and from my actions. And so like really just taking that time to like focus on myself and what I like and what turns me on, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? And that's, it, that's so interesting though, that that's, you learned that when you were celebrate, celibate and not when you were having lots of crazy sex. Yeah. Why do you think, yeah, it's so funny. why do you think that is? Um, I think, I think the, the crazy sex was more or less a distraction. Uh, okay. Um, I don't think I was taking that time for, for me as, much as like a means to an end like it was more about doing something crazy that made me feel better mm-hmm. rather than the actual act of whatever I was doing itself if that makes sense yeah yeah it totally does it totally does you were kind of like seeking the thrill of the thing right not and not actually the thing right oh let alone the person when you were in all those gray matter relationships oh yeah yeah, that's why I call them gray area relationships. Yeah, gray area. Sorry. <laughs> gray matter. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> out here in that's space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so you did your year of celibacy and, and like, hey, like, kudos to you, man. That is, that takes some serious balls to, to get there. Did you, like, did, were there points that were like easier or more difficult or like, how did, how did kind of your approach change? Um, well, the first, the first couple of months were tricky, and I think the hardest part was not getting, like, validation from people, because mm-hmm. um, I had to sit there and tell myself I'm amazing and, and beautiful and doing a good job. Um, I mean, you and are. I wasn't used to being that, that voice for myself. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. Well, it's fine. Do you think, here's a question, like, we're both really externally motivated. Do you think we were providing that validation for each other all those years? Oh, definitely. I remember, I remember it, if I came to school in an outfit, I mean, outside of uh, the standard Catholic school uniform, mm-hmm. on the rare day we got to wear plain clothes, um, I constantly was like, I need, I need Kate to think this is cool, right? I mean, we, would de- we definitely were those friends who would like call each other and coordinate our outfits. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like absolutely. I, which is, but it, well, and it's interesting, right? Like we were that for each other, but I don't, I, did it feel unhealthy to you when we were doing it when we were kids? No, it really didn't. Um, I don't think we, I don't think we had much of other options either, you so, know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I always um, felt like we were celebrating each other and we were sort of like in, in a club of like fabulousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I fully agree with that. But it's so interesting how that kind of shared childhood experience morphs into, as an adult, the need for external validation that is, that is less healthy. Yeah. So where's the line? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's something we talk about all the time in um, in the recovery community. Is like a lot of these um, issues or de- defects of character that we have 
um, are often just overused assets. That's a great point. That's a really great point. And actually, I want to, so we're going to take a quick break. And we, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, how the recovery community has really kind of given you the tools and the language to, to like move strongly forward and to live your best life. So, awesome. so you're listening to Insert Here. We'll be right back. All the music on this program produced by Morris, producer of L.A. Find him online. This is Affairs. Welcome back. You're listening to Insert Here, a sex podcast where lust and learning meet. I'm your host, Kate Warren, and today I'm joined by my childhood best friend, Heather Barnes-Flint. Hi, Heather. Hi. Hey. Welcome back. Uh, so before the break, we were talking um, kind of about, about your journey uh, to, to, as an externally motivated person to health. And, um, and so now I'd like to talk about, about how being um, an active member of the recovery community has given you kind of a, a, like a really pretty robust set of tools and language for who you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, basically what I spend the majority of my life doing now, and, and, and I mean in all aspects of my life, so everyday interactions work um, outside of the, the community is, um, you know, I'm constantly looking for ways to better myself and to help other people. How do you think, like, what kind of, what kind of, messaging did you did you learn or like like how how does the recovery community talk about talk about this kind of stuff in a way that you found to be health like helpful outside of just substance management well i mean really these these tools that that we learn um can be applied to all different aspects of our lives so um sex problems love problems uh family problems um, all of these things uh, can benefit from from really learning how to take responsibility and um, having people who have other shared experiences as as a solid support network. That makes perfect sense. What so what what would you tell people at home who who haven't been through um, who haven't been through the program? that you that you really loved like cool like awesome takeaways where you're really happy to have those tools for yourself i mean i think that we all can really benefit from having um people in our lives who support us and who understand the experiences that we've gone through um i know that through all of you know all of my different experiences that i've had even Growing up uh, as a kid, I mean, the thing that make, always made me feel more comfortable was finding out that, that other people had some of the same issues that I did, that I'm not different. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Well, and, and I think all of this ties back to, you know, a lot of this ties back to 
to issues that are really that are really common, right? Anxiety and wanting to feel seen and wanting to feel appreciated for who you are, and like regardless of whether of how people cope with those, um, they're the, 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 just the existence of those are very are like really kind of uniting human experiences, you know. And yeah, absolutely. We all want to feel like we're a part of and that we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, regardless of who we are and, and what we do and um, what our identities are, um, I think that the, we, we find strength as a community and as a society by looking at similarities rather than differences. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think in, this current, in the current political climate, it's really important to remember that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... Um, when we're when we're disagreeing or putting each other down, um, we're not being productive. Yeah, no, not at all. So you've tried a lot of different things, and um, do you, so. Do you have and you you do consider yourself to be female, correct? Yes. Cool. So do do you have like a an, a sexual a sexuality orientation term that you like to use? Well, when <laughs> when I need to kind of. Um, when I am put in a place where I need to define it, which thankfully um, the people that I found myself with and um, my family and everything, um, they don't, they don't feel a need for me to define myself. Um, I think the, the, the biggest term um, that I, I've identified with the most is pansexual. Mm-hmm. What's that? Um, well, so pansexual means that um, you you like people not based on gender identity um, orientation or um, really anything other than for who they are as a person mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. That's a great term, and I think pansexual is a term that isn't it still really actually isn't understood that widely in, in the queer community either. Um, like you've dated women, trans men, men, all different kinds of people. And, and pansexuality is, is really that appreciation for kind of the person first and foremost, irregardless of body and, or orientation. Yeah. yeah. It's all about vibes. There's almost, you know. there are interesting conversations happening in the queer community right now though. Cause there's like a, there's a level of like kind of pan phobia that happens. It's kind of similar to bi, to the biphobia that I hear mm-hmm. about because people feel like oh well you have to pick a team right right you can't like because they they want to be able to put you in a box and understand based on based on your label what they can expect from you because that's kind of like what we like to use labels for um i think it's awesome that you that you actually like prefer not to use labels yeah well i felt most comfortable not having to to define or explain anything and quite frankly just as much as some people feel like they have to, mm-hmm. um, you don't. I really don't feel like you do. It's 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 your personal choice whether or not you feel like you should explain yourself or not explain yourself. And and for me, it's just as simple as like, oh hey you, I think I'm attracted to you. <laughs> you human. Okay, come on over here. <laughs> what can we try? So, what else is on your list of things to try that you haven't tried yet? Um, a 
stable, committed relationship. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> I'm here for that. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I know. I know. That'll be a first. Cool. Good. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I think it's so funny that, like, when we were in, like, the fourth grade, we had all these, like, li- we had, like, shared list journals where we'd make lists of, like, the things we wanted to try and stuff and stuff like that. And I would be so, actually, we should, uh, we should, like, make it, we should make a new one. I bet. It would be really, would, love that. would be so I interesting. Would love that. Like, returning, oh returning 30 this year. So, you know, in the, in, in the past 22 years of our friendship, like what boxes have we checked that were on those original lists and like what would be in, on our new lists for like our 30s? Right. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to say it's safe to say that we, uh, we sold ourselves short. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. Our list was like, make out with two boys. <laughs> and now we're like, that's a Thursday. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Heather, and sharing your story so openly and oh, candidly. Goodness. Thank you for having me. No, oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you all for, for listening to Insert Here, uh, Sex Podcast, where lust and learning meet. Um, we're really eager to have lots of different kinds of voices represented here on the show. So if you know of anyone who would be a great guest, you can email us at insertherepodcast at gmail.com. We're also really looking to reach a much wider audience and appreciate your help in spreading the word. So tell your friends and then go find us on iTunes. Give us a rating and write us a review. Just like in sex, we love a little bit of feedback. Welcome.